I'm a Care Bear. And I've always kind of felt this sort of like ball of energy in my solar plexus. And I can kind of like Care Bear stare people. And it's okay to just sort of like give it to people. Hello, welcome to Fuck Yeah, the podcast where we say fuck you to cancer. I am one of your hosts, Sarah Tomchesson, and I am joined by my punky and spunky co-host, <laughs> Robin. You are looking extra punk today. Like there's like the hair, everything. It's so good. Thank you. Thank you. I, it's because I did nothing to my appearance before showing up and just fluffed my hair a bit. So this is, this is, I woke up like this. Yeah, it's nice. I've started ratting my hair or teasing it as it's called. Um, and it really works for days. <laughs> it looks like this. I love it. Uh, what's giving you a fuck yeah right now, Robin? Well, I kind of have two. Can I do two? Of course. Okay. One real quick one. Uh, my genius coworker, co-host, Sarah, <laughs> Uh, we were going to have a boring old meeting and Sarah, you said, let's do it at the Korean spa. (laughs) And I was like, what? And it was the first time I'd been back since the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And we did, you know, get a little work done. And I just really, it was a big fuck yeah towards self-care I really needed that. And it was just so wonderful. So I appreciate you doing that. It was really a great idea. I was almost a little bummed that it wasn't my turn to say fuck yeah, because uh, I love this life hack is that found a spa that has Wi-Fi. It's hard for me to do meetings, uh, but it's really great for focused work. Like I'll go and I'll spend the whole day there. Yeah, I have my computer and I set up on like the warm heated jade floor and I just like projects and then we'll take little breaks to go soak. And it's so wonderful. And I really missed being around naked women of all ages. Yes. You know, it's really so affirming Mm -hmm. of just like, oh, I can. There's so many different iterations of bodies in that space. And we can all just be comfortable and sit around in very hot water or very cold rooms. And it's just really lovely. I, I, I love that. But okay, so that's one fuck. Yeah. My other really big fuck. Yeah. It can key into what we're talking about today is that on a much smaller level, Uh my basement flooded People might have heard that California is entirely soaked at this point. (laughs) So my basement flooded. There is about three to four inches in the basement of water. And that has been a big disaster. Mm -hmm. But that basement was my original crafting space that never worked out because it's a dark, dank space that I don't know what I was thinking. But I had a... um, a big work table in there and a lot of craft stuff. And once I set it up was when we moved in 10 years ago. And then I immediately got pregnant. I had two kids. Uh, my parents died. And I have not really been down there much other than to just shove projects in there. So there are some projects that I needed to kind of get rid of that got soaked 
I was able to throw those away without being upset about it. I'm like, well, you know, it was okay. Almost all of my supplies were fine. And it got me to thinking about how to utilize the stuff down there. And because I have people that are going to be staying in the back house soon for four months, I've had to like, I've been already like, I have to rearrange my workspace to get stuff out of the main part of the house. I have this table set up now in the back. Mm-hmm. I'm going to rearrange everything. I have more space to work and I have more space to store things. And I have this time capsule of craft stuff that I'm just opening up drawers going, what? It's like I'm going on a shopping spree or like I was donated a bunch of stuff from 10 years ago, me. Uh, so I'm really like excited well- about it. And this other thing happened where like yesterday, It was raining hard again and the basement was going to flood and we're like trying to throw sandbags in and we're like wearing our raincoats, me and Max, and he's like cleaning the gutters and all of this like kind of emergency work to get things done. And we became a real team Mm. for the first time in a long time. Like we've been having our struggles lately. And by the end of the day, there was just a nice connection and nice like feeling of being in the same tribe, working on the same things and rather than being in opposition with each other. So we, that really aligned and I don't know, we're still struggling with the basement, but it all kind of came together out of like this emergency situation we were forced into like we rose to the challenge and I think we're better off for it so I feel really like fuck yeah about that oh that's so great yeah I mean the struggle and the glory of super long-term relationships yeah you know sometimes you have just these pressure tests yeah oh right we're really good at this stuff together and I do like prodging is something that is really important in a long-term relationship. Like what's prodging? Like when you uh, have a project. Oh, okay. <laughs> prodging. Got it. <laughs> I never heard that. That's not a thing that people say. Oh, I guess it is. That's the sitch, I guess. <laughs> uh, you know, having your area of thing where you can come together and do projects, I think is so imp- invaluable. I want to, you know suck your dick all the time, all day, every day. It doesn't last forever. Right. Right. Other things like let's save our house. Yeah. It was great. And I, I just feel good about it. Like I have, I don't know, things are coming together in a nice way. Yeah. Nice. I'm happy for you. Thank you. Thanks. Well, I think today we might talk a little bit about finding silver linings in total shit heaps. Yeah. We have Kristen Smith joining us on the podcast. Kristen is an improv comedian, a writer. She was involved in comedy sports for years. She works at Nickelodeon. She was involved in the show Casa Grandes. If you have uh, read the Casa Grandes comic books, she is the author. She and her wife, Kat Davis, have a YouTube show called Happy Wife, Happy Life with another couple. And she is one of my compound mates. She is also a survivor of cancer. And so we're going to have her on to talk about how the fuck 
do you navigate a cancer diagnosis in your 30s mm-hmm. right before having your first kid? Yeah. And during a pandemic. Holy yeah, shit. yeah. 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 I'm really excited to share her kind of worldview and perspective with folks because she has been a big ray of light in my life. And I find her very inspiring. I'm looking forward to getting to know her because we've met a couple of times, but you always speak so highly of Kristen. So I'm excited. Yeah. All right. Let's get into it. Kristen, welcome. It's so nice to have you here. Oh, thank you. I'm excited to be here. So we usually start off with rapid fire questions. So I'm just going to throw a couple questions at you. You ready? I'm so ready. I'm very excited. Okay. <laughs> What's the last picture on your phone? Oh, it's probably my baby. Let's see. Actually, it's a picture of uh, a gay man simulating sex on my wife. <laughs> <laughs> You have to say more about that. Um, So we uh, went to a friend's 50th birthday dinner last night. And um, two of the people that were there are some uh, theater director that my wife used to do a bunch of shows and she hasn't seen them in forever. And so he was reenacting a very funny moment on stage and used cat as a as a sex prop. (sighs) Well, they're so, having a great time. That's so <laughs> it was as if they knew you were going to be on this podcast. I, yeah, nice. I yeah, they definitely <laughs> did. And then, and then, yeah, and then it's my baby holding a bunch of Winnie the Poohs. So, oh. it's out. I I feel like my phone's filled with similar things. It's either kids or sex related or gay stuff. You know. Yeah, that's how it should be. Yeah. <laughs> That's life. What's the last podcast you listened to? Well, besides your podcast, which I spent a lot of days listening to, oh. I just finished. Um, I was on a flight and I finished listening to David Spade and Dana Carvey have a podcast about SNL. And it's like they just interview other SNL alums or like guests that have been on there a bunch of times. It's super fascinating. And mm. I there was a two-part episode with Lauren Michaels, which... Oh, really? Yeah. And it was like the perfect length of my the flight. The man, the myth. Yeah, exactly. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, I love that it was two parts. It was yeah. super fascinating to listen to him talk. And it was also like really inspiring because, you know, I used to do comedy and SNL was one of those things where like, I want to, you know, aim for that. It seems like the backstage stuff is so interesting at that show as well. Like maybe even more interesting than what happens on stage. And the process. Yeah. To get it out so fast, so often, (laughs) it seems really intense. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting to hear sort of like everyone's experience. Like David Spade is all, he kind of always talks about how he's like, I didn't really do a very good job on the show. And I, you know, I was just kind of there. And like, from our perspective, like I wouldn't think about that at all. And even Dana Carvey is like, I didn't know I was famous because of Wayne's world. Like I didn't read because it was different then. we didn't have the internet. So we didn't know. So we just made this movie and then that was it. And then all of a sudden out of nowhere, I'm famous. I'm just like, wow. It's- yeah. I want a different world. So Kristen, who is your first celebrity crush? <laughs> 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 oh, I can't wait. What is it? Well, I think if I'm going to be completely honest, it's probably (laughs) Miss Piggy. Oh, my God. I love that so much. Are you kidding me? (laughs) Oh, you must. (laughs) You're like, I want high maintenance power. 
like, like, yeah, big bitch energy. Yeah, that's kind of what I married to. (laughs) Good for you. Yeah, good for you. Yeah, I think it's like Miss Piggy and then probably Bette Midler. Although my love for Bette Midler goes beyond any sort of like crush. It's more of like a soul connection. That, that word is not sufficient for no, your feelings no, about Bette Midler. No, uh, no. We, my, I feel like they have a similar energy. They are. In a way, yeah. You know, they're that diva kind of energy. That's so interesting. So do you identify with Kermit at all? I do in the sense that I am kind of opposite of Miss Piggy, but I don't in the sense of like, I don't know, he seems to get frustrated a lot more, like early days Kermit. Right. If he, he's a little bit more high stress. And I don't think I'm so much like that. I think I'm more of like a Fozzie or a Rolf or a Gonzo <laughs> or even a Scooter. Like, Wow. I feel like this might be a new category of question that we should Yeah. Have. What Muppet are you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't have to identify to one Muppet. I'm a little bit of everything. Or maybe it should be which Muppet Muppet would you most want to sleep with? You know, because I would say like I'm an animal girl, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ruby's pretty into animal, but she might be into animal because <laughs> animal is Andrea's favorite. Oh, um, right, right. It's hard to know if there is a little bit of influence. There. I mean, if I was going to sleep with a Muppet, it would definitely be Piggy or Janice, like, that would be fun. Yeah. That's the long haired one, right? Yeah. In the band. Yeah. That's the one that I most identify with. Yes. I'd be like, I would be a Janice, like the guys in the band. Although I'm not as much of a stoner anymore. I haven't spent enough time with the Muppets to know. Well, hmm. what's your first gut reaction? I don't have one. <laughs> <laughs> what was your first mode of masturbation? I don't even remember. There were many. I think my cousin and I, who are age mates, we sort of did a lot of like discovery together. She'd be like, check out this thing I figured out, you know? So there was a lot of like, you know, faucet in the bathtub, right? pool or hot tub jets. That was probably the first <laughs> climbing up poles and ropes. Yeah. <laughs> there was a lot of represented. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. No, I, ha- I have this very cringy memory that just won't leave my brain of like, <laughs> Climbing up a pole at my elementary school, being like, nobody knows what I'm doing. Yes, yes, <laughs> they knew. No, the but adults totally. Like the adults knew. Yeah, over and over. Again. Yeah, <laughs> same, same with like the pool jets. I remember at one point my mom was like, "Um, stop doing that." I was like, "What? You can see me? <laughs> like, you know, like when you're a kid, you just think like grownups can't see you. You seem like you're invisible, yeah. but like grownups see." literally everything you do mm-hmm. yeah. I've learned now that I have a child of my own <laughs> so yeah but like I mean what didn't I use my cousin and I were just like we found this cool vibrator dang it it doesn't have batteries like we tear the house apart it was like a back massager or like <laughs> you take the end of a end of this um the like toothbrush head off of like an oral B. Right. That one got a little dangerous. You're like, oh, that was. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you had like a partner in crime. Yeah. That's oh, really yeah. Sweet. She figured out like, she's like, oh, if you take a spoon and turn it the other way. And so there's a whole <laughs> thing with spoons. But we could only find what? Spoons. wood spoons. No, no. Like pla- like eating spoons, like okay. utensil spoons. But for some reason, we only had plastic spoons. And then that got a little like ouchy because the edges were rough of this. Oh, my God. <laughs> that's great how old were you do you think oh I don't know my best friend Colleen and I we've talked about it and she's like what does she call herself and I was like I'm the same as like um MSB masturbator since birth <laughs> 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 
Yeah, no, it a, must be. I got to write that down. Okay, I want you to describe how we know each other. How do you tell people that we know each other? Well, I I'm like I don't know how to be like brief with anything, so I always tell them the whole story. I'm like, "Okay. We lived in this house and our handywoman who we called Hot Andrea <laughs> very stoic and would come into our house and and fix things for years and then when our back house was someone was moving out and so during the pandemic we camped out <laughs> yes, on, the, on the day that everyone's coming to look at the at the house cat my wife and I camped out in the front yard we're like we want to know who these people are we want them to know who we are and to know that like cat's pregnant and like they better be fun and cool so all these people came through and they're all nice and then finally andrea was like my girlfriend is gonna and this was like maybe the most that andrea had like spoken to us <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm-hmm. She's like, my girlfriend's got to check out the place. We're like, oh, that's cool. Cause like lesbians and like, that's fun. Like maybe we'll get to be friends with Andrea now. <laughs> and, then, um, and then I just remember like meeting you from like the driveway with our masks on and like at a distance and we're like, oh, there she is. Uh-huh. <laughs> and we, but we had no idea, you know, and then you moved in and like yeah. Ruby's amazing and you're amazing. And then we just like lived the rest of our compound a pandemic life together and we live on a compound together we, do. we have a actual lesbian compound yeah. which is so i don't know if i've told you this oh no I yeah don't know. it's gonna be an emotional share are you ready for Ooh. it oh my god <laughs> I, i'll i'll bear witness it was probably right before the pandemic started where I, i've been with my therapist for some time and she and I were talking about just like my vision for my life of like this single parenting was never how I imagined doing it. And it's way harder than I ever imagined it was going to be. And I was thinking about leaving my big job of 11 years and all this stuff and like starting to think about what does support look like? She was really pushing me to like vision of like, no, no, it doesn't just have to be this way. And through those conversations, I feel like I put these little prayers out to the universe, I did start visualizing like, oh, well, support can come in all these different forms. It doesn't have to just be my mom. Like maybe one day I could have an assistant. Maybe there could be a way that I live with friends on like a lesbian compound of sorts. And there's like a village helping to raise kids that just took this form in my mind that was like, oh, that's not real but it's fun to think about. (laughs) And sometimes I sit back and I look at my life now and I'm like, what? (laughs) You made it happen. That is actually like what we have is this like this level of support, not a safety net, but I think of it like a support net that I legit did not think was possible. Oh, look at you. You're going to cry eyes. Uh You know, like we moved on to the, the mom pound. Well, we call it the mom pound now. And then it just, turned out that we all really liked each other, which was just like a huge bonus because, you know, we share a yard and all these things and it just, it's worked out very beautifully. It's so nice to (laughs) have you so close and, you know, Ruby sometimes just runs over to your house. Oh yeah. It's amazing. We love that that happens now. It's also funny too, because when you moved in and Kat Kat and I were like, um, wow, Andrea and Sarah are so cool. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, and like, and like Sarah works in the pleasure industry and like, neat. <laughs> Maybe we'll get to talk to her about it someday. And like, we were just always like, they're way too cool for us. And like, I hope they want to hang out with us. And 
And yeah, and now we spend holidays together. Yeah, I think at one point, Andrea was like, well, you know that it's like a mutually beneficial. It's like a symbiotic relationship with both houses. And I was like, oh, it is? (laughs) (laughs) We just thought we were obsessed with you guys. (laughs) Turns out that you like us back. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it seems like as new parents also, having someone who's a few years ahead must be really helpful. I mean, having a newborn child is just such a dramatic change and experience and anybody's life. Yeah, totally. And just having Sarah so close by, I mean, we've often just been like, our, our baby has a fever and it's 101. Is that bad? And Sarah's like, no, okay, <laughs> great, move on. Especially during the pandemic where we were so isolated right. able, and the people that lived back in this back house before, we, ha- we, you know, we have like a shared backyard and the people that lived here before just weren't taking the same types of precautions that we were taking. So we weren't really able to use the backspace, which was a great sadness to us because it had been a space for everybody and then it wasn't. So when Sarah and Ruby moved in and then it just became our outside house, like we would have meals together and we would project movies outside together. And we only like recently do we even go into each other's houses and it yeah. still feels like a special <laughs> fun treat. Yeah. But it was like such a gift to bring the baby out here and know that no one's going to be annoyed if the baby's annoying at dinner and like Sarah makes dinner and then we... I don't know. I guess our contribution was like being entertaining. I'm not sure. (laughs) Uh, But it was it was like such a well-timed gift for us as well. I love that for both of you. And then it wasn't long after that. Oh, yeah. That you were diagnosed with cancer. I found out I had was diagnosed with a form of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma called follicular lymphoma. And I found out 15 minutes before Ruby's birthday party was supposed to start. And so, yeah, I got off the phone with the doctor and I was like, no, okay. And well, I guess I'm going to go to this Dolly Parton birthday now. I'm like, I'm so glad that I've got that planned to get me through our like neighborship and then subsequent friendship started with me being newly diagnosed with cancer and us being about a month and a half away from having our baby. Mm. And then, you know, we had Winnie in June and then I ended up having to start chemo in September. So then all of 2021, it was me going through chemo. And I don't know what we would have done if you guys hadn't been here to like be a support emotionally and like just being a presence for us to help take care of the baby. And it was also nice to just like know that I had somebody I would still get to hang out with because I'm pretty extroverted. But yeah. it's, you know, when I you go through chemo, you're extra immunocompromised. And my particular type of cancer meant that none of the vaccines worked for me. I had to do them anyway, but they weren't going to provide me any sort of protection. Finding out that I had cancer felt like I knew it. I'd known for years that something was going on. And I had seen doctors. Everyone's like, well, lymph nodes, they swell sometimes. I'm like, guys, I am telling you. I'm an energetic person and I have super fatigue and like I get night sweats. This shouldn't be happening to me. Like I'm young and I'm healthy and I'm energetic. What is going on? And so I was going back and forth with doctors for years trying to figure out what it was. And it was a bump on my head that a dermatologist biopsied that figured it out. So when I initially found out, my initial reaction was just like, I knew it. I knew something was wrong. Mm. I've known it. Mm. And, um, and and you've been dismissed. I'd been dismissed. And so it wasn't even like a sadness that I felt when I was diagnosed. It was more just like a, great, now I know what's happening in my body. And now we can take care of it. Right. And do you think that that was, because I can't imagine being at the precipice of having my first child and a cancer diagnosis at the same time. I mean, those two things are just incongruent with each other. Like how do you 
process, the life piece of that? Honestly, because I also had just gotten a promotion at work Mm. Mm and I work at Nickelodeon in the animation industry. And so I just got a promotion at work. I found out I had cancer, knew that we were going to have the baby, but that I was going to take, you know, my parental leave and then come back and then start as a script coordinator in the writer's room. There was sort of a lot of things that I was thinking about. I'm like, I'm not sure how this is all going to work out. But at the same time, I'm like, kind of thank goodness we're in the pandemic because I don't have to worry Mm -hmm. about going to Mm -hmm. an office. I wouldn't have been able to work, I think, when I was doing chemo. And also, like, thank goodness we were home because we get to be with the baby. And then when, when I came back from parental leave, I found out that the show I was working on wasn't getting picked up for another season. And we were basically done with writing the final season. So I was like, uh, so now I don't have a job Uh, or I'm going to have to start a new job. Like, how am I going to be able to balance that? So there were kind of a lot of things that on the surface level actually seemed pretty negative, pretty, pretty hard. Right. But like work, they were like, we're, we're keeping you on. I'm like, well, I don't really, I'm not going to have a whole lot to do, like a thing to do a week, maybe. And they're like, it's okay. We're keeping you on full time through till March, do work when you need to. Don't worry about taking time off to do chemo. It's fine. Yeah, it's amazing. They, they, you know, they literally said like, we've paid for stupider shit. It's okay. (laughs) So I was fully supported at work. So I didn't have to worry about that piece. Wow. The fact that we were in the pandemic meant that our little house was locked down. So I didn't have to worry about like extra germs. The supports were all there when it came to like how do we get food to our house? How do we, you know, like that was all Oh yeah, present. the infrastructure really changed for that kind of stuff. And then also my mom who lives in Oregon, I don't know, somebody was looking out for me because then all of a sudden this like really cheap airline that flew direct from my hometown of Medford straight to Burbank appeared. So now my mom could take really cheap flights every time I had treatment. So every time I would have treatment, my mom would come in for a week. She would help take care of the baby, help me with cat and then help take care of me. And I was always like sick for about 10 days. And then I would have about a week to feel better again and then have to do it all over again. But I don't know. I'm just like, if I, if I didn't have the job that I had, and if, if our show hadn't been canceled, I would have had to have been in a writer's room. And I don't know how I would have managed that. That would have been way too hard. Too much would have been too hard. And also if it wasn't the pandemic and I would have had to go into an office, that would have been hard. Like just like everything to me that seemed negative actually set us up to have the best situation possible. And then having you guys back here, knowing that we had that other added support that like you were really locked down and really COVID safe um, just meant that at home, I was like 100% financially secure, emotionally secure, emotionally supported in every way possible. And then you were just like, I I am a caretaker at heart. I want to cake. Let me like make dinner for you. I think that if this would have happened in any other time, it would have been a really bad situation. And so I'm sort of thankful that it happened when it did. Hmm. Even with all of this support, though, I'm just wondering, like, what was your approach to maintaining mental health? Because it's just so much stuff going on. I mean, did you have a certain approach towards your mental health and your sex life as well? Like just your overall well-being? Mm hmm. I think I have a couple things. Uh, I had a couple things sort of at play that sort of set me up to be able to handle this. My family is not a stranger to strange health tragedies. Mm-hmm. When I was 15, my brother was 19 and he went in for a surgery that was supposed to be like not such a big deal. The hospital, they didn't care for him the way that they should have. And he ended up going into a coma because he was yeah. an allergic reaction to morphine mm-hmm. and went into a coma and then had massive brain damage. So 
which totally flipped our family on its head. And so then for the rest of my adolescence, for the rest of up to now, like my brother has needed caretaking and my mom became his like 24 hour caregiver for a long time. And so that was all through my teen years, which was difficult. I now know Mm. (laughs) my natural instinct is just sort of to like bring the light, make people laugh, lift the mood, lift everyone's spirits, just try to be a helper in that way. And so that's sort of the role that I took on during that time. I think we all learned that like, it was such a, like, we just don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. So like, we just have to like get through whatever is happening for us today. My mom had a brain tumor that was uh, benign, but like had this massive brain surgery, which you're just like, how, why? And she was fine. And then my dad was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, but it was like super rapid in its progression. My dad went from like basically being normal and fine to like every week being worse and worse and worse. And I spent a lot of time going up to Oregon and being a support for my mom and helping her through that. Because again, my mom and I, between the two of us, we had taken care. I had taken care of my brother Morgan when I was a teenager by myself, which involved a lot of moving his body from a bed to a shower chair, helping him take a shower, helping him going to the bathroom. Like our bond as siblings became like, we had to do things where I'm just like, I'm sorry, I got to do this. Yeah. dude. He's like, it's okay. Just go for it. So having to care for other people and having to sort of like face these tragedies and know that we're just going to have to get through it. You know, I think I was kind of set up for that. I also am an improviser. I spent most of my time in LA being an improviser. That's the thing that lights me up the most. And that's all about mm-hmm. saying yes and take the thing that's in front of you and making the best out of it, the most out of it, and just sort of rolling with whatever life gives you. So I sort of have that in my personality anyway, to take everything as an opportunity to like, well, you just got to go with it, right? The other thing that I had that really set me up for success and mentally being able to get through cancer and a baby and a pandemic was that I had wanted to experience plant medicine, specifically ayahuasca for a long, long time. An opportunity presented itself. I ended up being able to go in the year that my dad was dying and sort of at his worst. So I was, I went and I did a retreat, an ayahuasca retreat that February, my dad passed away that summer. Kind of the main thing that got me through that, that whole year was just sort of, um, and I know you've guys have talked about ayahuasca on your your podcast before, but this thing of like, don't worry, you get to go home. You get to go home. You get to go home. And so that was me telling myself that I'm going to get to go do ayahuasca again. And I will, I will make it through that year because I knew I had, I got, I would get to kind of like touch back on that place again. So I was able to book in that year with two uh, ayahuasca retreats. I'm, you know, mentally predisposed to depression and I have ADHD and, and I sort of always was struggling with my mental health, especially being an actor and trying to make it in an industry that is difficult and toxic. And I had a billion different jobs and I never knew where I needed to be every day. Like I was able to get myself into working a job at Nickelodeon that was wonderfully supportive and a constant, you know, like every day I go to this place. And that was like a huge relief. And then also having this, everything that I had gotten from these two meditation or, you know, these two ayahuasca retreats set me up for being mentally healthy and Mm. knowing that I was like, well, I'm going to get through it. I I felt that in my bones. I just knew I said, you know, today's going to suck. And tomorrow might suck, but like, it might not suck in six months. So we're just going to get through it. And my wife is funny and we love to laugh. And, you know, I think there's also a little bit of uh, repressing of the difficult emotions because I knew I just had to get through it. Like there wasn't, there was no other choice for me because of everything else that I had gone through and done. My brain was like mentally strong enough to just be like, we're going to be fine. We're going to get through it. I'm a bit of a Pollyanna anyway. So I think that's kind of my natural 
disposition. And so I'm like, well, we'll just take it one day at a time and we'll make it through. Now, I know you asked me about the sex part. (laughs) (laughs) And that honestly, kind of one of the last things on our mind. So because I was pregnant and also because probably all cancers do this, but my type of cancer specifically really sort of like threw me out of a uh, (laughs) passionate place, I think. And then especially once I knew I needed to start doing treatments and I had a port put in on my, which is like Mm -hmm. a little thing that goes in on your chest, which is like unpleasant to look at and not fun to touch. And so sort of like, I kind of needed to disconnect from my body. I knew that in order to get through the cancer treatments, I just needed to like disassociate and Mm. get through it. And so that also sort of meant disassociating from my body and just know that I don't need to put any extra pressure and Kat felt the same way. Like we don't need to put any extra pressure on our relationship to try to make sex happen because we're kind of dealing with everything. You know, she was postpartum and you know, that's obviously very difficult. Kind of neither of us were in a place to be able to tackle that kind of stuff. Even now I'm a year in remission. I'm a year out from chemo. She's still working on like pelvic floor stuff and like, you know, weird things happen inside of her body when we try to get nasty. (laughs) Uh, I think right now I'm really processing and I'm, you know, really sort of going through the like, oh, here's all the trauma that my body sort of stored up to get through cancer treatments. And it's time mm-hmm. to all come out. I'm in a really interesting place right now trying to like reconnect with my body. <laughs> Even when I would try just to like use a vibrator with myself, I couldn't feel anything. Mm. And my period stopped and nobody told me that that was going to happen. And that was sort of shocking and sad. Like, you know, so there was like a lot of things going on in my body that I was just like, all right, well, we'll reconnect at some point. And I think at that point is probably now that we're trying to, you know, get kind of back on the same page. Yeah. I, I mean, I want to ask you some questions about like what that looks like for you. I had a question for you around like some of the side effects, how you navigated them mm-hmm. and just like what the process of just staying connected to your body in general is. Mm-hmm. And I remembered I developed a educational series where we did a topic on uh, sex and cancer. Mm. And that process of researching it was so, just so many things that we're not told, right? That chemo actually does bring on early onset menopause. Mm -hmm. It doesn't necessarily persist for everybody, but at least the process of going through chemo. Nobody told me about that. Remember when I started getting hot flashes and I was like, why didn't anyone tell me about this? Is this forever? And my doctor's like, you'll probably grow out of it. And I was like, what? (laughs) That's, I mean, that's the other thing is that when you start researching it, it's like, this could last from three weeks after treatments to forever. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And you're (laughs) like, that's a really broad, that is a really, really broad, um, range. And then, you know, that the like radiation treatments have a pretty big impact on blood flow and like blood flow is a lot of what gets us connected to sensation, especially like Mm. our genitals, it increases sensitivity. So like if your blood flow to any region of your body is impacted, then sensation there is going to be really impacted. And then one of the things that I learned, and this is just going to make everyone mad. I almost mentioned it in our alternative anatomy quiz, but surgeons are trained when doing like prostectomies, prostate surgeries, prostate surgeries, (laughs) where you have to remove the prostate or a tumor in that area. They're really skilled at preserving nerve endings, but the training Mm. around hysterectomies, the doctor who 
was like, wait, why is the clit not anywhere on? <laughs> so mad. Was like shadowing and realizing the differences between surgery on the prostate versus surgery on anywhere near like our our junk. So it's the medical profession just hasn't really considered a lot of this stuff. And so I feel like I learn a lot from people's personal process. Mm -hmm. And so was your body even a priority to feel connected to during your uh, treatments? Uh, No, not at all. Was it a priority to disconnect? Yeah, 100%. Especially when I was recovering from chemo, which basically, which for me felt like having a hangover Mm. for 10 days. As soon as I would start to feel my body, I would immediately, I had a vape pen and a a certain kind of strain of weed. I did one session of chemo and I didn't use any sort of like marijuana help or anything. And I smoked before just like recreationally. And I was like, I can't do that again. Like that was pretty awful. I did some research and there's um, a few strains out there that are specifically geared towards or specifically help people going through chemo. And one of them, and if anyone is out there and going through this or need to, or like has know somebody for me, Northern lights, man, Mm. that screen got me through. I got a vape pen so that I didn't have to like go outside and I could just like be in a room and we had air purifiers everywhere in our house because obviously the baby and I would, I never smoked around the baby, just FYI. Mm. (laughs) That was huge for me. That got me through because I didn't have to feel the just like gross, icky, gross feelings in my body anymore, you know, and that was what I needed to be able to like mentally get through it and physically get through it and be able to eat and all that kind of stuff. So anytime I could feel my body or anytime I noticed my body, because then you start thinking, cause my cancer is a blood cancer, right? So, and it's in my lymph nodes, which is mm. everywhere. Like it's uh, every, yeah, like your you knees. You almost can't think about you it. You can't think about it. So wow. anytime I would get like a sensation or what anywhere, I would start to kind of spiral. And I just, there was just wasn't room for that. So I take a little hit off my vape pen and then I would fall asleep and I would wake up and I would be better, you know? So I, ha- I had no desire to like notice my body. And I will say that for me as a human being in general, I'm sort of <laughs> at odds with my body all the time uh, because I'm kind of uh, awkward and gangly and I don't really move the way I think I move. And, <laughs> and I think we've talked about this. One of the things that I sort of discovered about myself and during my ayahuasca uh, retreat, my first session that I did, which really gave, um, really was good for me because I was able to sort of be a little bit more gentle on myself. Was that like my little soul, it was like part of the souls that sort of, or my little energy ball was like part of the souls that help make all of the things. And my little Mm. ball of energy, which was showed to me as like the makers. And I was like a maker's assistant and I loved to watch. I love to watch earth. I just found everything fascinating. So fascinating that the makers one day were like, Oh, guess what? You love, you love it down there so much. You get to go down there. And I was like, what? No, I don't want to go down there. It's awful. Like, I don't want to go. They're like, oh, but we already filed the paperwork. Like you kind of have. I was like, no, you know, one of these, this phrase that kind of kept repeating in my head was that I was a reluctant soul. And, and so they sort of sent me down here anyway. And so I think, you know, I was like, and that's why like little inconveniences make me so mad. I'm just like, I did not sign up for this. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that makes sense. Why my, I, like my little, you know, my little ball of energy inside of this body is just like, what do I even do with these arms? And so I've always sort of been <laughs> with my body, and also, you know, being queer and figuring out, like, you know, there's just a lot of things that have sort of made me 
feel like myself is separated from the like car that my soul is inside of, if that makes sense. It's so interesting though, that you describe yourself as being like kind of frustrated with the little things, because when you just described your approach to like this really big thing, it's so grounded and positive and like hope seeking and still sort of approaching things with this sense of curiosity, which you've just described as being kind of baked into the DNA of your soul, right? Mm -hmm. You're a very curious soul, regardless of maybe being a little reluctant about this (laughs) incarnation. I don't think of you as being someone who's like really put out by life. Oh, I mean, I hate dishes. Folding laundry, (laughs) go fuck itself. Like uh, it's all the little things, just the tiny little things like taxes or like, Uh I don't know, just like dumb stuff that you're just like, oh, yeah. I mean, I think I can handle the big stuff because I've already had to face the big stuff for other people. This is the first time I've really had to face like a big thing for myself. And I think that's probably also weird because I don't tend to be a good caretaker for myself. I would prefer to be a caretaker for other Mm. people because I don't like feeling feelings. (laughs) (laughs) Well, for me, it's like I, I what's coming up is around the disassociation. It's kind of morphing in my mind how I feel about it, because there are all of these things that we are more conscious of in the culture right now about like fight or flight and all of these different coping mechanisms. And I'm like starting to realize how much disassociation I've done with my own sexuality and in other aspects of my life. I'm working on being in the present and being embodied and all of that stuff. But you're really highlighting the importance of these coping mechanisms. They have a time and a place. And it's really just once we get past the need for them being able to then reconnect. I'm wondering at at this point, like a year into remission, are you working on anything to reconnect to your body or your sexuality? Or are you just taking it as it comes? Or what's your mindset around that? Yeah, my sort of goal for this year is to just take care of my body, just make good choices for my body and to really set myself up to do that. This year, it's all about just making good choices about like taking care of my body physically and getting out and moving around and running or whatever. Do you feel like your approach to your life, your philosophy on life now, having come out on the other side of this, and I'm going to say coming out on the other side because you are solidly in remission and I, you are going to stay that way. <laughs> What's different for you and how you approach the world and where you're going in it. I think that anytime I sort of get the impulse to go do something, even if it's just like get up and go get a glass of water (laughs) instead of fighting with myself to be like, but I'm so comfy right now where I am. I can, I'll be fine. You know, just like getting up and doing it. And that's for Mm -hmm. anything for just saying yes to going to a place. We started going to a lot more concerts because that was an outdoor activity that we could do. Just sort of being more open to be like, yeah, I'm going to spend the money. I'm going to buy these tickets and I'm going to go do this thing because why the hell not? Regardless of anybody's health situation, we only have today. Mm -hmm. Plan for tomorrow. You could remember yesterday. I only have right now guaranteed. And we probably all know that intellectually, but like, I think I feel that in a much deeper way. And I will say like, I am very lucky. I do feel good. I do feel strong again. I do feel kind of like back to my regular self. And I'm really happy about that because I'm on a support group on Facebook for follicular lymphoma because technically it's not curable and it's just something you treat. It goes away and it could come back and then you treat it again and you just, uh, you just have it or ever. And I see a lot of people that have a lot of go through a really hard time. You know, I'm doing 
maintenance therapy right now. So technically, you know, I still, my immune system dips. I have to do that every three months. And I see people who have like chronic sinus infections. I see people who have like get really bad, like rashes and things. And I think this might be part of my, like, I'm going to be fine. Cause my body's like super good. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Uh, I think I still sort of have that. And I do feel very, very lucky. And and I would see a lot of those posts. I think this was really important for me. Finding that support group on Facebook was huge because I was able to get any of my questions answered. When I would see really hard posts, I would need to scroll past them because I was like, "If, if this doesn't apply to like my exact situation, I don't need to read it because it's not going to energetically be helpful for me. I would send them good wishes or, you know, be really supportive in that way. But it was really important for me to like to kind of stay a little bit um, ignorant to what could potentially happen. Right. Because I just don't think that it was it would serve me. I don't want to worry about a thing that could happen. And I would rather just deal with what's currently happening to me right now, because I really believe in the power of thought and positive energy and high vibrations. And why the hell not? What else do we got? Right. To control anything in our life is like (laughs) as long as we feel good and as long as we're happy. I mean, I know you hate the platitude of bravery, like (laughs) you're so brave associated with making it through cancer. But I mean, I have to say that witnessing you go through this has been so inspiring because it's a way of living and thinking that I would like to subscribe to, Mm. but that I don't feel consistently really great at. Someone else could come in and say, well, here are all the things that happened at one time and it really fucking sucked. And you're like, but look at all of these ways that that then actually created more ease and a lighter experience for us. That is kind of your superpower. You make your disassociation work. (laughs) But also like what you're describing right now of just like setting the boundaries that you need for yourself to do the protective cocoon of like, there's going to be light here. Mm -hmm. And I do think that, I mean, both Robin and I have gone through, um, can't like really long extended, Mm -hmm. um, cancer with a loved one. And I know watching my dad, like in his moments where he was really had a lot of hubris, Mm -hmm and just surrounded himself in light. Like those were times that ultimately he won some battles and maybe didn't win the war, but his life was better during those times. Yeah. And I think that that's been really inspiring to see and to be able to be around you through all of this because it's been unwavering. It's unwavering. Like this thing that you do. I don't feel like I can take credit for it. I think it's just in my DNA. Like I was born sunny side up. (laughs) Like most babies come out face down. I came out like, hello world, look at me. And my mom has said that like, I was the easiest baby. I've just always been very happy and energetic and chipper. So I think that it's just something that's just in me. Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't feel like I can take credit for it. You know what I mean? It's like Whitney Houston having a beautiful voice. She can't take credit for this beautiful voice. It was gifted to her. One of the things that I learned that I saw during one of my ayahuasca retreats, I attribute so much of what I know about myself to that. Like that changed my life forever in such a positive way. And I still hold on to a lot of the things that I learned and I saw and that. And again, that got me through a lot of it. But one of the things that I learned was that I'm a care bear um, and I've always kind of felt this sort of like ball of energy in my solar plexus and I can kind of like care bear stare people. (laughs) 
And that was one of the things like you need to just like physically be open in that area because that is where a lot of like my power and my light comes from. And it's okay to just sort of give it to people. My dad always had like healing hands and we sort of joked about it, but like he kind of really did. And then I would joke about it with my small friend, uh, Davis, who is not so small anymore, but when Davis was really little and would get hurt and would, that would be very upsetting. And I would use my healing hands on Davis and it always worked. So I was like, and Kat, my wife is like, no, you really do have healing hands. Like you can put your hands <laughs> over a thing. I don't know, like, and just make pain go away. And I was like, oh, that's so I feel like it's like kind of all this thing of like, that's in me of just being able to just like stick my tummy out and make people feel better. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean by the Care Bear stare. And I'm like really happy that you can stick your belly out and help people in that way. <laughs> stare them down with kindness. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's interesting. Again, I'm going to go back to my ayahuasca stuff. When we would all meet and kind of like talk about everyone's experience, everyone was like very serious and heavy with their things that I was just like waiting for my turn. I couldn't stop smiling kind of like how I am right now because I'm excited to talk about the thing. And it was my turn. And I was like, okay, you guys, I'm like, you know, Rainbow Road on Mario Kart? <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, I was like, okay, well, that's what I saw. And Leslie yeah. was in my head being like, oh, my God, this is amazing. So like and everyone was just I realized that I was very different from all of these other people who were like there for like a very like, you know, which is great. That's their journey. But for me, I was like some sort of like other fun, colorful something life. I mean, I'm happy that that's where my brain thrives, although there's darkness there too. I think we all sort of struggle with that. Again, I think it's just sort of in my DNA and I don't, it's not a thing I can really take credit for that I like cultivated. It's just sort of there and I can tap into it. Like, thank goodness. It's so fun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, it, for someone who does not have the Care Bear stare in them, what are resources or suggestions you might have for things that they should look into if they're embarking on this big cancer journey. You know, I think any sort of just belief in any power outside of you. I grew up Catholic. I don't consider myself Christian really at all anymore, but I've also know that I've never felt alone. Mm. Even when I'm by myself, I'm like, I know someone else is there. Mm. At one point went on this self-help kick book thing. And I read this book called, um, you are a badass by Jensen Chero. That changed my life. I think that moment I switched into like a different gear. Hmm. She's a really great writer and I listen to her audiobook and she sort of talks similarly to me. And so that really, and talking about like kind of high frequency and higher powers and all that kind of stuff, just like, I don't know, that just helped me know that there's like something else that I can tap into. There's some, some other thing that I can like grab hold of to like be my buoy if I ever feel deep and down because I think it is really easy to get pulled down right you think of like that metaphor of the crabs in a bucket are you guys familiar with this thing mm -mm, no like if there's a bunch of crabs in a bucket if one crab tries to crawl out of the bucket all of the other crabs will try to pull it back down into the bucket like if these crabs are like set for the seafood market one crab will like I'm gonna escape and all the other crabs are like you will not you will stay with us huh. you know if you feel the darkness in you if you feel that pull it can be really easy to sort of just like let go and let it take you over. Mm. And I know that that's a, it's a struggle for everybody and everybody it's harder for some people than others. But I think being able to like believe in something else to sort of pull you out and like today is hard and tomorrow might not be, or it might be hmm. maybe two weeks from now it won't be. There is a light somewhere. And I think that that is something that really got me through is like, I'm not alone. And I've always felt really connected to ancestral spirits and like, you know, my dad has passed away and I know that he's really around me. And so I think knowing that I have some other 
spiritual something to lean on. If you haven't read You Are a Badass, read it. I've read mm. other books that I was like, oh, these books are not for me. Like Subtle Art of Giving a Fuck or Not Giving a Fuck or whatever. I started reading that book. I'm like, oh, this book is not for me. But sort of like finding those people who are talking about these things. And it's all the same thing. It's just finding what the one that resonates most with you. You just reminded me of this saying, find the helpers. Mm-hmm. I don't know mm-hmm. where that comes from, but you I know, think it's like, a Mr. Rogers quote. Oh, maybe. Yeah. He's- See? References again, continue. (laughs) Right. Especially as like a empathetic person when there's like a tragedy happening, you can like let yourself just get sucked into that thing that you're witnessing Mm -hmm. or find where there are the rays of light of the community members who Mm -hmm. are doing kind of the superhuman feats to get people out of floods and those kinds of things. And like, you can choose one. I mean, and I'm not trying to create a binary. There's a whole like range of things that you can do to hold space for the tragedy while also, you know, looking for the light. But I really appreciate that. It sounded like your Facebook group was also that for you. How did you find your Facebook support group? Once I found out what it was, I kind of went and searched for a support something somewhere immediately. The interesting thing about the support group is because, because we are never, because it it could come back, right? Um, This support group is called living with follicular lymphoma. So Mm -hmm. other people sort of described other cancer support groups of like, you're there, you're in it. And then for some people, they don't make it. And then it's, it's like, it's, it's a lot heavier where this mm-hmm. is like, mm-hmm. there are people in there. There's a woman in particular whose posts I saw a lot where she was diagnosed with the same stage and grading as me had the exact same treatment as I had, but like 15 years ago, she did maintenance therapy for two years afterwards. And she's been in remission for 15 years. And so I was like, wow. And she is an active member on there because she's like, for the people that come on who are new or Mm. who have a loved one who found out about, you know, that's really generous. So it's a really supportive, amazing group. And I remember putting a post on there just being like, I just got diagnosed. I'm young. You know, this is typically not a young person's kind of cancer. The immediate outpouring of welcome to the club. Nobody wanted to be a part of, and like, you're going to be strong. Mm, You're going to be fine. And like, that was so overwhelming to me that like, so I knew that I had so many strangers had my back and I could, if I didn't have anyone else, I at least had the good side of Facebook. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I mean, like it really is there and I don't really go on Facebook very much, but that gave me so much power to like keep myself fully in knowledge of what was, uh, you you know, my doctor at some point I overheard him talking to one of the nurses and he was like, she, she's pretty well informed. So I was able to go into all my doctor's office visits with so much information with all the right questions. And I really attribute it to that. Go to Grody Facebook and try to find your place. (laughs) And I think also in general, accepting help. I don't like accepting help because I want to be the helper and I feel awkward accepting help because it's like, I don't want to put anybody out. Yeah. But we had so many friends and people that we weren't necessarily super close with show up and like deliver food. And my mom comments on it. She's like, I'm just so impressed with how much support you have in this town where it's most of us don't have a lot of family here and we sort of all rely on our friends to become our family and to be able to just like when people said what can I do for you like we could really use some soup you know like we could like we could really use ice cream and then just be okay to like accept their help Hmm. that was hard I feel like I'm seeing all of these ingredients towards I don't want to say success, but towards your ability to get through this in a non-destructive kind of way, where it's like you have a really strong sense of yourself. 
you have a strong sense of the kind of higher power, how the world works. Like I love you talking about being a maker and where you were in this more cosmic space before coming here. And then this ability to stay in the present one day at a time and accept help. Those are all really wonderful ways to handle really heavy situations like this. I was able to put that recipe together for myself because I watched my family have a hard time Mm -hmm. doing that, trying to be the person to really like push my mom to find help with my dad, you know, and and being in LA and, and, and she, and she's like this where she doesn't like accepting help. I experienced a lot of the, maybe not the best ways to handle this kind of stuff. So for me, I'm just like, I know it needs to happen because I've done it for other people or I've, I've seen other people not do it this way. So I don't know. I get, I guess it's sort of, I don't want to be like every tragedy has a positive thing. I'm not trying to be super sunshiny, but like, I think all of these things that I've done in my life and all of these hard things that I experienced, like set me up to be able to get through it now. And like, I say that, but I had like a breakdown over Christmas about not knowing how long I was going to be alive. And the fact that I have a small child and that I don't want to leave her with out of, you know, one of her moms. So that's also in there. Like it is still a struggle. I need to check back in with myself and I'm getting a therapist. And it's been a long time since I thought I've needed therapy because I think ayahuasca did such a huge lift for me of all that mental stuff, but it's time now. Like it's time for me to like start checking in again. It's, I might go do another ceremony Mm -hmm. sometime in the next year to just sort of like, you know, touch that home base again and, and reconnect. Um, But I think I'm also in the process of processing all the trauma of cancer. Where can people find you? (laughs) If they Um, want to find you. At the mom pound. (laughs) I never leave. Well, I'm on Instagram, uh, Space Girl K. I am private. But like if somebody wants to follow me, I'm all for it. Uh, (laughs) If you do follow me, just like send me a little message so that I know how you know me. Because I don't usually accept people I don't know strangers but also if you're into like lots of pictures of a baby you can find me there i'm also i'm trying to do tiktok i love tiktok <laughs> it is my portal to the real world oh uh, i gotta say tiktok also really got me through cancer and the <laughs> pandemic and i know it's so dumb but like it is a beautiful place if you get on the right side of tiktok there is it's 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 incredible witch talk spirituality talk adhd talk like it's great and so i've started sort of like putting content out a little bit on TikTok just for fun. I'm going to follow you now. What's your what's your name on? Everything about me is Space Girl K. Those are all okay. my handles. Thank you so much for sharing yeah. about. I mean, this is a pretty intimate topic and I appreciate that you are you were open to sharing it with us. I, you know, I thank you for inviting me. And I'm always open to talk about anything. Because like, how else does anybody know anything unless we talk about shit? Yeah. I want to talk about all the stuff because like, I'm not afraid of it. I don't want to be afraid of any of it. I'll talk about anything. Challenge me. Okay. All right. I'm going to come up with something else. Season two. Okay. (laughs) Thank you, Kristen. Thank you. So Robin, I'm curious about your takeaways from that conversation. Kristen's a very impressive person. Yeah. She reminds me a lot of my mom. My mom was a similar type of person, always very positive. Her positivity during her cancer was at times like alarming to me. But, you know, she was able to fight a really aggressive cancer for 10 years. So I attribute that a lot to her 
attitude. Yeah. I don't know that I would have the the grace that that Kristen had going through all of that. It's so intense, but I feel really grateful for the conversation because there's a lot to learn there. Even how I'm trying to approach my mental health journey at this time and healing from the traumas that I've been through. There is that the one day at a time dealing with each day as it comes and then knowing that at some point it does get better, even though it may be weeks, but it might be tomorrow. Yeah. It's it's inspiring. I appreciated that she did mention her history with depression, her ADHD as things that have, you know, been challenges for her in the past, because I think sometimes it's easy to assume that people who adopt a positive attitude, I mean, and it's almost like she described it sort of systematically. Yeah. She drew out the comparison of like having done improv and that kind of training you get around a new thing is introduced and you take it with it and you say yes to it. And I was like, oh, what an interesting connection there. I mean, obviously having gone through a lot of health tragedies within her family. But here's the thing that I thought was interesting is that like, I think that I struggle with the adopting the negative behaviors that were modeled for me. And she uh, described all of these ways in which she saw struggle around these health tragedies and that that was actually the thing that felt like it gave her the training to do something a little different. Yeah. You know, I don't think that we all do that. And then the crab analogy of the crabs in the bucket, it's like gravity, Yeah. Just get pulled down into the heaviness. So that like work of staying light. Yeah. She was describing like that central part of your body, the solar plexus, Mm -hmm. where you where your care bear stare comes from. Yeah, like keep that part open, that part of your body. Yeah. Right now. For me to demonstrate this, I had to get into a stance to like push my belly out that is totally like heart led, like taller, trying to like get that part of my body sticking out. If you adopt that posture when something feels really hard, yeah, it might help lift you out of the heaviness of it. And maybe that's what standing up to it is. Yeah. And showing up. Yeah, this idea of improv, like the yes and also being a way of life. Yeah. Acceptance and then adding your own layer to it. And always having humor in the mix. Right. I'm bad at yeah. that. I, I really struggle with that. I was inspired also by her real strong sense of self. Yeah. And I think that's where I've gotten lost before is getting in codependent or enmeshed kind of relationships, not being real secure in my own self. Mm. Now, a lot of what I'm trying to work on is really building my sense of self and focusing on recentering. And that's, again, that Care Bear Stare thing. It's like your center of your body resilience. Yeah, yeah. Wow. One thing I wanted to call out uh, that we haven't talked about yet is that I think that one of the first times that you and I really connected deeply, I mean, we'd known each other for a while, we'd worked Mm -hmm. together, but 
There was something that was happening with your mom's cancer treatments mm-hmm. and you had to, I mean, I was your boss at the time and you had to come and talk to me about it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I had gone through a similar thing, not very well, to be totally honest. My dad had cancer. His cancer started when I was about 18 so through yeah. my twenties, he he died right before I turned twenty eight. We had that thing in common of going through that long. I mean, it's such a long haul. Yeah, and it's such a bumpy road. And um, so, how was this for you talking about this? Um. Yeah, I feel like in a way, I was relating it more to myself. Mm. Um, than I did necessarily to my mom. Kristen and my mom do have those similarities. Mm -hmm. So that was nice to see. But Kristen was able to express it in a way that I could relate more to than my mom. And I think I have or or the way that my mother was. And I, I think I'm going through such a rough patch right now, that it was really helpful to hear her methods for it because it feels somewhat attainable. At first I was like, fuck, I don't know (laughs) how you do this. But then as she really started breaking it down, I was like, okay. And I can see kind of where I'm not lacking, but where I could use some of the advice that she's giving. Yeah, I, I do have a sense of higher power stuff in the universe and spirituality. I'm not religious, but I do feel like that's part of what's missing in my life. Like I have a lot of existential crisis type of thoughts. I would like to get a little more grounded in the mysteries of the universe Mm. and how they may or may not be helpful. But then also the one day at a time stuff and just being in the each day as it comes. And yeah, that really stood out to me. I think sometimes I want to fix Like if I have a bad feeling or particularly if it were, you know, sustained 10 days of just feeling completely disassociated from my body and an intense pain and all those things, I would be really frustrated not to find a way to fix it and make it go away. Right. I, I do that sometimes with negative feelings too. Like, let me just make them go away. And yeah, she was kind of describing a process of where... You just notice and sit with the thing without trying to change it and also then put it into this other context like tomorrow might not be like this or two weeks from now might not be like this. Like everything, there's an ebb and a flow, everything changes and that that I think can be applicable to so many different situations. Inviting the feelings to tea. Mm. So it's it's just mm. like, okay, you're feeling this sadness, you're feeling like the hopelessness or whatever. And then you just, you exist with that and you invite it to tea or even the dissociation. Like Kristen really was able to use the dissociation for what it's really meant for, I think. Life and death situations. Yeah, yeah, that you need to cope and you need to get through this. And now that she's gotten through it, now is the time to start reconnecting. I've been trying to do that more of like, oh, why am I so anxious? Why are you, you know, like, this is fucked up. I shouldn't feel like this or whatever. Or I used to say to myself, like, my life is good. Like, all of the things are pieced together. Why can't I enjoy it? But the feelings are there for a reason. 
So I want to invite it to tea and invite it to tell me what, what it's there for and to sit with it because there's meaning in it. It needs to be there and then you can move past it to the next feeling. You know, what you're saying about the survival strategies, if you're in a situation where you are needing to disassociate from your body mm-hmm. or you're needing to go into hyper productivity or whatever, you know, any of the fight, flight or freeze responses. If that is what you have to do to survive, you can also trust mm-hmm. when your system, your spirit, everything is able to choose a different coping strategy, reconnecting with your sexuality, redeveloping your relationship with your body, those kinds of things. Like there will be a time and a place where you can do that. And you're just going to create a lot more frustration for yourself if like during kind of the acute trauma period of illness or whatever it might be, if you're fighting against it, then you're waging a battle on another level. Mm-hmm. She kind of let her body go through the battle it needed to go through and gave, you know, just like let it do that rather than also adding a huge mental battle on top of it. Yeah, definitely. Go with what what's needed at that time. It's so hard to to actually do. She seemed like she really she did it, though. Very inspiring. did. She's wonderful. I'm glad you guys are mom pounding together. That's great. There's definitely a lot more laughs in my life and a lot more references to childhood characters and cartoons. Mm -hmm. I cannot keep up. Like I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) Yeah. No, we got to hang out because I'm like, I 100% spent most of my time watching television in the 80s. So I know all these references, all of them. I would love to see if I could stump her on a reference. Nice. Yeah. We hope that if you or someone you love is going through cancer Um, which, you know, obviously is a lot of us that you find the helpers, you find the community that can support you through it. Reach out to Kristen on Instagram, send her a DM, ask her about that Facebook group. That sounds amazing. You're not alone for sure. There's a lot of people dealing with this or having gone through it. And like you were saying, Sarah, it brought us closer. Yeah to be able to talk about that stuff. And our culture tends to not want to talk about this heavy stuff, but it really helps. Yeah. And find someone that you can laugh with, you know, yeah, about some stupid shit. <laughs> yeah. Even about the cancer. Yeah. I mean, yeah. my mom and I would joke about it. It, it helps. Yeah. And thank you so much for listening. Uh, We hope that if you are enjoying the podcast that you would consider giving us a rating and better yet, a review. It helps people to find us, which is happening. And that's really exciting to see the community growing. And we want to hear from you. You can email us at fyapod at gmail.com. You can find us on all the socials at fuckyapod. And you can find us here next week. Bye. Fuck yeah.
knocking them out of the park. Fuck Yeah podcast is produced and hosted by me, Sarah Tom Chesson, and Robin Jennings. Theme music is produced and performed by she, her, sir. You can find out more about what we're up to at fuckyeahpod.com or reach out directly at fyeahpod at gmail.com. If you're enjoying the pod, give us a hand. Rate, review, subscribe, wherever you listen, and make sure to share it with a few friends. Thanks so much for tuning in.